What a warrior. <laughs> what a warrior. And good morning, warriors. I think um, even if you're firmly in the wandering season, you are a warrior because that is hard. And to do that day after day, um, week after week, um, there's got to be warrioring happening. Um, I have felt again last night um, being awoken in the middle of the night with, um, with, with really bad dreams. And, and my interpretation of that is because I don't dream like that. You could probably guess I dream about food. Um, <laughs> I don't have dreams that include bloodshed and, and ones that when I wake up, I actually feel my heart beating and I actually feel afraid. Um, and that's what my dreams were last night, two times. And so this morning when I was um, fully awake, um, I said, what is this about? And again, like yesterday, I feel like it is the enemy's resistance. Like yesterday, he wants um, the people who are wandering, he wants death there. He wants people to die in the wilderness, to give up the dreams, to give up the faith, to give up the hope, to be done. And I also feel like he has this massive pushback against us claiming the ground that we're being called into. He does not... He wants bloodshed in the battle. He doesn't want our victory and our claiming and taking and possessing the land we've been promised. But we have someone in us who's bigger than him, and we are going to push back, and we know that we're going to win. So let's dig in. Let's dive in. Let's talk about being a warrior. Um, the testimonies today, I mean, it's just so cool how God aligns everything. We don't know anyone's words before we get here. We don't know exactly what the testimonies are going to be or the scriptures that are going to be referenced. But it's just, and even the, the worship music, right? I mean, it all just is leading us to this, um, to this place. So the book of Joshua, oh, goodness. No, I'm on track. Okay. Hi. <laughs> I did have something funny I wanted to ask you guys, but I'll ask you later. Um, the book of Joshua is a written account of Joshua leading the Israelites at long last into the land that was promised to them. When we think of Joshua, who is noted as a great, if not the greatest, warrior in Scripture, we might be tempted to visualize certain figures or certain types of people. The first one that we might be tempted to think of Joshua as would be someone like this, who is, I don't know who this is. Uh, he looks like he's really smart and probably really well-trained in battle and in strategy. I imagine all those things all over him. Someone in here knows all about, and he's a, he's a decorated four-star general. This is someone that you would say, yes, lead us to battle. We trust you. What's that? He is in charge. And when we think of Joshua, we might be tempted to think of someone like this. Or we might be tempted to think of someone like this. <laughs> in charge, everything she touches turns to gold. She's charismatic. She brings people in. Most people really love her and engage. She's so engaging. Did we have a comment? You get a car, a new car. I loved that show when you, she handed out her favorite things. Or you might be tempted to think that he's someone like this, right? Just like fierce, in charge, maybe good looking. I don't know what your taste is. Um, but someone who just commands and has presence. You might be tempted to think of that. 
I doubt any of you are thinking in terms of this. That's Nacho Libre. There is a small story around Nacho Libre, and that's his wrestling partner, Esqueleto. And I know this because you are here. If you have respect for me, that's like right here. It's going to go right here, right now. So get ready for the drop. Get ready for the drop. Part of my personality, a really true part of my personality, is that of like an 11 year old boy. I think I love bathroom humor. Um, my son has to ask permission at other people's houses to say words like poop and diarrhea because he likes to talk about that so much at our house because I think it's funny. Um, so this is one of my favorite movies. I have two movies that I watch repeatedly. I watch Nacho Libre repeatedly and I watch Mall Cop. So... Those are my movies. And my son, I love it when he asks if we can Nacho Libre fight on the bed. So anyway, the reason I put this up here, and we can take it down because it is, it is disturbing, I understand. Um, <laughs> the reason I put that up there is because Joshua could have looked like that. He could have. We don't know. Scripture doesn't emphasize his battle strategy. It doesn't emphasize his looks. It doesn't emphasize his charisma. It doesn't emphasize all of his training and his degrees and his this and his that. It could have been those dudes, which makes me think it could be us. So to be warriors, to be great warriors, the definition of warrior is a person engaged or experienced in warfare or more broadly, engaged in some struggle or conflict. Because I'll admit when I first heard warrior, I'm like, gosh, can, much of us, can many of us really relate to being a warrior? I think of warrior as those kind of bigger examples or people who are out on the battlefield. But really, if we look at the definition, it's someone who is engaged in some struggle or conflict. Yes, we can do that. We are that. There is a connection to wandering in that I believe that's where we get our warrioring skills. I loved Carrie's testimony that during that season of wandering is really where the roots went deep, and she brought that stuff into the season of being a warrior. So there's a real strong connection between the two. But I think with the wandering, it has a little bit more of an internal focus, maybe a little bit less visible. But when I think about the warrior um, season, I think of something that's maybe a little more external and visible. I think there's a clear distinction between the two seasons or the two between wandering and warrioring. And that is that um, wandering is that moving about without a fixed course or aim or goal, whereas the warrioring is one where you clearly see the calling and the goal. You're on mission. So my definition of warrior, because who says you can't create your own definition? A brave fighter who clearly sees the calling and the goal. A brave fighter who clearly sees the calling and the goal. So picking up Joshua 1, 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of God, God spoke to Joshua, Moses' assistant. Moses, my servant, is dead. Get going. Cross the Jordan River, you and all the people. Cross to the country I'm giving to the people of Israel. I'm giving you every square inch of the land you set your foot on, just as I promised Moses. 
from the wilderness and this Lebanon east to the Great River, the Euphrates River, all the Hittite country, and then west to the Great Sea. It's all yours. All your life, no one will be able to hold out against you. In the same way I was with Moses, I will be with you. I won't give up on you and I won't leave you. Strength, courage. You are going to lead this people to inherit the land that I promised to give their ancestors. This is my favorite part. Give it everything you have, heart and soul. Finally, Joshua was being released and commissioned to fight for and claim and possess the ground that God was calling them to and giving to them. God puts on repeat, strong and courageous. Be strong and be courageous because I think that he knew there was going to be some very real temptation to feel weak and to feel afraid and to give in to that. So strong and courageous, strong and courageous. Following this commissioning, there is, um, there's some battles. I want to talk about a few of those, um, few of those battles before we um, dig in a little bit deeper, just to kind of set it up, because we'll be drawing off of these. So first, um, they sent, um, they're still on the other side of the Jordan River. They send a couple of spies over to Jericho to go check it out, scout it out. So the two, sc- two spies cross the Jordan River, and they head up into Jericho, and they meet with... Um, Rahab, who's a prostitute there. And they talk with her, and they find out that the people are looking for them, and so she hides them. They make kind of a pact that says, hey, we will save you. Um, when we come in, we will save you and your family. So she hides them while, while they're being looked for, and then she releases them down through a window, um, down a scarlet rope, and they're able to leave without being caught as they're spying out. So then they come back over, Uh, to the Jordan, and everybody picks up camp and gets ready, and they're ready to roll. They're ready to start moving across the river and heading into the land. So then the first battle is Jericho. Something actually I want to say that Rahab said to them when she was over there, which I thought was really cool. She said, we all in here have heard about you, and our hearts sank. We all had the wind knocked out of us, all of us because of you and your God and what your God has done. So when they went in, they caught wind and word that the people actually of Jericho were totally afraid of them. So they go back over, they get everybody. The next piece is crossing the Jordan River. I was like, so how did these, these two dudes cross the river? And that wasn't that big of a deal, but then they need to take everyone. And my husband reminded me there was like 2 million people. So, you know, two people can kind of cross a river, go back and forth. But to really get 2 million people from one side to the other, God, like he did with the Red Sea, he parted the river. And he sent everybody through and all their belongings. So they get to Jericho, and he has a very, very distinct battle plan for them. This is what the battle plan is. I'm going to find it. Don't worry. (laughs) God spoke to Joshua. He says this in the message, and I think it's really cool. Look sharp now. Look sharp. Okay, look sharp, ladies. I've already given Jericho to you, along with its king and its troops. Here's what you are to do. Here is the battle plan. March around the city, all your soldiers, 
Circle the city once. Repeat this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven rams' horns trumpets in front of the chest. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times, the priests blowing away on those trumpets. And then at long la- a long blast on the ram's horn. And when you hear that, all the people are to shout at the top of their lungs, and the city wall will collapse at once. All the people are to enter, every man straight in. So that was the battle plan for Jericho. And they did it, and that's how it went. God had a rule that said everything that there is that's plunder, everything you see that's valuable, that's to go and be set apart for me, to be put in my treasure chest. So you find treasures and whatever while you're in there. Don't take them as your own. Those are to go into my treasury. So then they have the next battle, which is the battle of Ai. This one starts out with a couple spies going over, checking it out coming back, giving their report. They returned to Joshua and reported, don't bother sending a lot of people. Two or 3,000 men are going to be enough to defeat AI. Let's not wear out the whole army. There aren't that many people there. Okay. So 3,000 men went up, and then they fled back down in defeat. And that's when, um, let's see. The men um, of Ai killed 36 men. They chased them from the city gate as far as the quarries, killing them at the descent. And then the hearts of the people sank and had all of their spirit knocked out of them. So here they are. They go into this second battle. And I noticed something is that the two spies came back, kind of gave their logical report, like, not that many people. Let's save our resources. Let's save our energy. Let's just send a few and let's go. And so they're like, okay, yeah, big difference. They didn't get their assignment from God in this one. And so the reason for the defeat, I think it's twofold. They didn't get their assignment from God. They took the logic and the reason from the scouts and from the men that went. Another one was, because I think if they would have checked in with God and said, hey, should we only bring two or 3,000? Would that be cool with you? I think God would have said, I'm not with you. You got some sin in your camp from the last battle, and if you go compromised, this isn't going to go well for you. And I think Joshua would have said, okay, hold on. We're not doing anything. What's going on? What's the sin here? Because what had happened was one dude took some plunder thought, hey, this is really awesome, and I'm going to go dig a hole in my tent, and I'm going to bury it under my tent, and I'm going to keep this for myself. Very directly disobeyed a command from the Battle of Jericho. So I think the reason for the defeat at Ai is twofold. Yes, there was direct disobedience, and there was sin in the camp, but also they didn't check in with God first because I believe he would have exposed that to them and not sent them, not allowed them to go under those conditions. And so then the guy who plundered, Jennifer mentioned it, he, he got rooted up out of the camp, he and his family, all the stuff, and they are no longer part of our story moving forward. So <laughs> that was the battle of AI part one. The battle of AI part two is, God said to Joshua, we're going back. Don't be timid and don't so much as hesitate. Take all your soldiers with you and go back. I have turned the king of Ai over to you, his people, his city, his land. Due to Ai and its king, what you did to Jericho and its king, 
Only this time you may plunder its stuff and cattle to your heart's content. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and all his soldiers got ready to march on to Ai. Joshua chose 30,000 tough men, (laughs) seasoned fighters, and sent them off at night with these orders. Look sharp now. (laughs) Lie in ambush behind the city. Get as close as you can. Stay alert. I and the troops with me will approach the city head on. When they come out to meet us, as before, we'll turn and run. They'll come after us, leaving the city. And as we are often running, they'll say, they're running away just like they did the first time. And that's your signal to spring from the ambush and take the city. God, your God, will hand it over to you on a platter. Love the message, right? Was that really what he said? He's going to hand it to you on a platter. Once you have the city, burn it down. God says it. You do it. Go to it. I've given you the orders. So Joshua sent them off. They set their ambush. They waited behind. These people ran up, drew these guys out. These guys went into the city. They are like, we're going back. Wait a second. They're in there. Awesome. Totally creative. Totally different from the first battle. And they get to plunder. Anything they see that has value, animals, livestock, gold, silver, take it. It's yours. So it's not the same battle plan, and it's not going to be the same harvest or reward every time. But listening to God was a huge difference in AI part one versus AI part two. And then there's another battle that's definitely worth mentioning. Well, there's the treaty with the Gibeonites that Jennifer talked about, where the Gibeonites um, tricked them into thinking, oh, we're so distant. We're not in this promised land. Make a treaty with us. And they didn't. They, the men of Israel looked them over and accepted the evidence, but didn't ask God about it. So, yes, we'll make that treaty with you. And they didn't check in with God. I think if they would have checked in with God, God would have said, eh, these guys are pulling one over on you. But they took the evidence, the logic in front of them, the moldy bread and the beat up sandals and the this, that, and the other. These guys put on a great act. These, and then the Israelites bought it. Um, and then they made a treaty with them. In the treaty, which I do appreciate, they honored it. They didn't say, oh, you tricked us. This is null and void. They said, you tricked us. We own it. And we will make you our slaves. You will be our water carriers and our woodcutters. So I guess the Gibeonites got to live, but they also lived in a way that benefited benefited the Israelites. Next battle worth mentioning, and then we'll run back into some other things, was with the Amorites. And I just thought this was really cool. Huge army, multiple armies actually joined forces to battle in this one. And Joshua and his army marched all night to take these guys by total surprise. And in their battle, God threw the other guys into total confusion, a major victory. Um, As they're going and continuing through the battle, God pitched huge stones on them out of the sky, so hailstones. So in this battle, it's, you know, men versus men, and all of a sudden, a downpour of lethal hailstones. I'm not sure how many times I've seen lethal hailstone attacks in life, Um, but that is something that God utilized in in this battle. 
So God pitched huge hailstones on them out of the sky, and many more died. Actually, more died from the hailstones than by the people of Israel um, from being killed by the sword. And then later in that um, battle, what, another thing that God did was he stopped the sun in its tracks mid-sky. So let's say it's about noon. And the sun stayed at basically noon all day so that there was daylight so that this battle can be completed before nightfall. Because at nightfall, you have to go regroup and different things and energy and then come back at it the next day. And for that particular battle, God made the sun hang in the sky all day. And there's never been another day like that since, it says. So I want to tell you a little bit about my warrior season. For nearly two decades, I had a very clear calling and goal. I had a mission of fighting for more light in people's lives. I started when I was very young um, in graduate school. Um, In 1999, I started graduate school to get my master's in marriage and family therapy. I remember a little bit of pushback um, from some people in my family. Um, One uh, voice said to me, a counselor, you know you're going to be listening to people's problems all day. Like, yeah, I I realize that. But there was something in me that was like, this is my calling. This is what I'm supposed to do. And so I leaned into graduate school and what came from that, my internship and my placement afterwards and my private practice. And so for these nearly um, two decades, I had a mission of fighting for more light in people's lives. This meant daily sitting with people in their pain, caring for them, believing for them, encouraging them, challenging, comforting every person every couple, every family, every teenager came in with something different. He had um, trust. I had to trust God that he, he led me there and then brought them there, that he had work he wanted to do and he was going to use me to do that. Um, it just totally popped out to me when Carrie said in here, God's going to do it and he's allowing us to be a part of it. That's exactly how I felt. God is going to do this, and he's allowing me to be a part of it. So in addition to the counseling and the sitting with people and fighting for more light and more life um, with people, I also developed a heart for the profession just in general. I've taught for 15, 16 years. I've taught um, counseling ethics, and it's not because I have a heart um, for policy and the law. I totally don't. Um, That's a little too brainy for me, but what I have a heart for is, bless you, Um, what I have a heart for is the profession. I have a heart for counseling. I have a heart for counseling being a safe place for people. There can be some counselors out there that that aren't the best and maybe aren't the most ethical, and that bothers me real bad. And so I have a heart for, for influencing the profession at the student level around their ethics and around creating a safe space and around being that for people, that more people can engage with the counseling process, which I believe ultimately is a healing process. And then he's also enabled me to supervise younger therapists, um, people who've graduated and are out doing their work and need that supervision while they're working towards their licensure. So a real heart and a real passion for people and for this profession and for this experience, because ultimately 
it's a conduit of God's healing. And that has been the passion behind my season of warrioring. For you, being a warrior might look like your calling, whatever your calling is. It might be loving people, whether it's foster kids, immigrants, refugees, elderly, homeless, single moms, widows, and orphans. It might be your passion area, which is the church or your community or your school. Maybe it's in your role that you currently have as a student. You happen to be a warrior through school right now. Um, as a mom on the home front, I know moms, when you are home all day with, I am home with one child and I'm done at 4 p.m. <laughs> and I still have a couple hours to go. I, I can't imagine two, three, four, five, you guys are warrioring through those days. Maybe it's through your career as a teacher, a boss, a counselor, a nurse, an office administrator, a tax preparer. Man, that person is a warrior. (laughs) Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you're being a warrior with your health, your physical health your mental health, your emotional health. Maybe you are re- you're warrioring right now through your recovery and your relationships. So I have some takeaways as per usual from Joshua's life, and I have them listed in your booklet. A couple of takeaways from Joshua's battles that we can apply as we face our own assignments. Something I want to remember is that there is this bigger picture of the whole land that we're moving into but there, there are a series of battles along the way, right? So it's a, it's a big land, but it's a battle after battle after battle after battle into claiming the whole thing. And in that, the first item that I have listed here is stay connected with God. Be sure to get your assignment and your instructions from him. It really cost Joshua and the Israelites when they didn't, right? They took other people's words um, based on logic or perceived circumstances or their thoughts, and they thought, okay, we got this. We got this. We can do this. And God showed them every time, you don't got it. You don't got it if it's not coming from me. Relying on human wisdom and, um, let's see, I already said that. Awesome. Um, Logic and conventional wisdom have their place in life, but when you experience God's calling, listen for his voice. It will sound different. Logic might say, take the first job you're offered. God's voice might say, keep pushing through the discomfort, the temptation, even when it looks like the money is running out. Logic might say to you, you're getting older. You really want to have your own family. This guy's okay. Not great. But you can't wait forever. God's voice would say, hold out for my best. It will be worth it. If you have a hard time distinguishing between God's voice and other people's voices, because other people's voices can be filled with logic and reason, and, and they sound very rational. Um, and, and maybe God's voice sounds counter to that. Maybe it's saying, take a risk. Maybe it's saying something that's going to make you feel stupid. You have a hard time discerning the difference. I love Jerry's emphasis on get somebody in your life who can help you tell the difference. 
Get godly people in your life who can help you discern. They know your story, they know your calling, and they can help you discern the difference. God can help you discern the difference through his word, but God absolutely can use people in our lives to help us say, hey, that doesn't sound like God's voice to me. That doesn't sound like what I've seen you being led up to this whole time. What are you seeing? I love doing that as a counselor. That's why people come so much of the time. They want to say, they want someone else's set of eyes on it with them because we just get so like this and add fear to the mix and it's just a mess. So get people in your life to help you discern his voice. The next point I have here is believe him wholeheartedly. Don't look at what you believe about you or your limited ability. Don't focus on the magnitude of what's ahead of you. Look at him. Remember who he has been for you in the wandering. Believe him. Believe in what he can do. Remember that he is in you as you move forward into this land and face those battles. There's also this temptation to look at the big picture that's in front of us and just let that defeat us before we even really get started. Think about like trying to lose weight, right? Maybe you wanna lose like 30 pounds and you lose five and you're like, I got 25 to go. That's what we look at. Oh, the five, no, the 25. Uh, This was so hard, I'm not sure. When you have two weeks of sobriety, you look at the lifetime you have in front of you and say, how am I gonna do this? When you have a child who's made progress for the past two weeks, we tend to look at, oh gosh, but what's the next 14 years going to look like? When you have a husband that finally goes to church with you or initiates a meaningful conversation with you, you kind of tend to say, yeah, but it'll probably be another five years till that happens again. We tend to have this yes, but mentality. Yeah, but, yeah, but... Yes, good victory, but look at all the rest. I think the yes, but mentality reveals some doubt. And where there's doubt, that's not wholehearted belief. What we need to be having as we approach this is a yes and mentality about God. Yes, we had victory. And there's another battle. And there's going to be another victory. And there's going to be another battle. And he's going to show up for us again. A yes and mentality is wholehearted believing. Joshua believed in him so much that he was willing to believe wholeheartedly. And then he was willing to step out and put some action to that belief. That takes believing to a whole new level. God, I believe you. God, I believe you have big plans for us. God, I believe you have more for us. God, I believe you led us to this place. And you're asking me to shut down my office. And you're asking us to get, you know, yes, I am. Yes, and we're going to step out and we're going to endorse this belief with some action. Joshua 1.16 says, everything you commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. This is where it feels so risky, you guys, taking that step. 
I felt so vulnerable last night after I left here sharing with you guys, like, my journey. You know, I know it's safe. I'm, I'm, I'm great with it. But it's like, man, putting, that, putting those action steps out there and then before other people's eyes to observe, that is such a huge risk. It sometimes goes against conventional wisdom. It might be countercultural. But James 2.14 says, faith without works is dead. We have to have some action to back up and we have to mobilize this faith and this belief. And Joshua did that. He mobilized his belief. So I was called to enter in with people in, in counseling. When I started out, I was very young. I was 23 years old. I was single. Really, God? You want me to be a marriage counselor? I do, on the record, want to say, anyone who came to me for marriage counseling when I was 24 and single, I can't imagine what you got from that. (laughs) But I am totally trusting that God made up the difference because that is where he called me. I think back and I say, what in the world was going on? But he called me, I was young and I was single and I was a marriage counselor. He called me to enter in with people who'd been married for 40 years when I'd only been married two. He called me to enter in with people who had had multiple miscarriages or who had been suffering infertility or who had lost their children tragically when I'd never even had my own child. He called me to enter in with people who had families that were just devastated by conflict or trauma. I didn't have that experience. He called me to enter in with people who were making a mess of their lives, who were cheating on their spouses, who were stealing from their employers. And he called me to enter into those places. Messy, dark, pain-filled places. I clearly hadn't experienced all of the things that my clients had experienced over the years. I was totally in over my head a lot of the times. But what I did was I leaned in. I trusted that he called me into this battle, that he would be with me in it because he had something he wanted to do there. As a result, I got to witness. I got to be a part of healing, redemption, restoration, people being set free, people's lives improving, um, relationships mended and restored and healed. I got to witness that. I got to enter in over my head and watch God make up the difference time and time again. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Even if it doesn't make sense, we tend to worship the concept that it needs to make sense. Well, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. I'm not qualified. I can't do that. I'm wondering how much sense it made that God said, walk around the walls once a day for six days. And on the seventh, do that, add some horns, throw in some yelling, and that's going to be your place makes no sense, right? Makes no sense. 
So let's really look at that, about that challenge of, but this doesn't make sense. So putting action to your belief. For you, that might look like selling all of your possessions, renting out your house, and taking your family to a foreign country. (laughs) It might mean bringing foster children or adopted children into your home to live as your own. It might mean leaving a good-paying job to work for an organization or a cause that you totally believe in. I have some friends that do this, and I'm just totally inspired by it. They commute outside of their very comfortable middle-class neighborhood to teach and coach or volunteer and mentor at a school in a different part of town. They live in a cozy, comfortable section of town, and they commute. They choose to commute over 30 minutes a day to go teach in a different part of town because the need is so great. Maybe for you, putting action to your belief is persisting in weight loss. Maybe it's persisting in cancer treatments. Maybe it's uh, persisting in infertility interventions. Maybe it's walking diligently through the pain and trauma or the losses of your life towards healing and wholeness. Jerry was such an excellent example of that. It sounded, she was framing it as, as wandering, but there was so much warrioring in that process, walking diligently through the pain, the trauma, and the losses toward healing and wholeness. And let me remind you, before we get to the final point, as you think about this, the action behind the belief, I think is probably the scariest one, for me anyway. But let me remind you of how God crossed the Jordan River with the Israelites. He went before them, the waters parted. He stood in the middle while everyone passed and he came up behind them. And that's God with you in this. He's gone before you. He's crossed the river first. He stands in the middle until you get by and he comes up behind you. There's not a time in the journey crossing over that he's not with you. So our job is to believe big, believe wholeheartedly, to step out, putting action to that belief. And this is my favorite part, (laughs) the fourth one. God will do the rest. God will make up the difference. When God makes up the difference, it's pretty mind-blowing, right? It's unpredictable, it's creative, it's out of the box, I gravitate towards stories that are just out of the box. I love that because it's God. You're like, oh, that is so God. It can't be anything else. I want that story. I want that story. I want to be able to testify to you next week. (laughs) Whenever, whenever, I want to be able to testify to you how God made up the difference. Because it's not going to be about me. It's not going to be about me and my husband and our amazingness. It's going to be about what God is going to do. So because Joshua did these things, they stayed connected with God. They believed. They put action to the belief. God gave them kind of a lot of cool things I noted as I read through the battles. He gave them impossible access, 
which was this crossing of the Jordan River, it said not even a toe got wet. He gave them impossible access, going into established tribe, one after the other, and prevailing. So these guys never had home field advantage. Imagine, you know, these people were coming, playing an away game every single time. They're going into battle, places that are established. These are their towns. This is where they live. This is their stuff. And every time they're going in and claiming it, pushing it out, battling, and with God making up the difference, moving them out and claiming that as their own. So time and time again, God gave them impossible access. He also gave them inside access and an unexpected ally. And when I'm saying that, I'm talking about Rahab. Unexpected ally, impossible access to the inside of this. And then they got to hear some things um, that were meaningful to them about their reputation. And they got to bring that back and that bolstered the faith of the Israelites. Oh, they're scared of us? What? They're scared of us? All right. It increased their faith. God gave them inside access and an unexpected ally. As I read through the battles, I also noted that God gave them protection. There is not one mention of lives lost in these battles apart from when they decided to do things on their own and didn't receive their direction from God. Not one mention. I don't know if that means there literally wasn't a life that was lost in battle. I'm going to say yes. Um, But clearly he gave them a tremendous amount of protection. He also gave them an undeserved reputation and he spread it. There was multiple times where they went into places just like with Jericho and they said, we're scared of you. We've heard about you. We heard about your God is the God that did this back in Egypt. Your God is the God who did this with the Red Sea. Your God. And so he spread their reputation. An undeserved reputation, right? Because they weren't always <laughs> um, the most pure of heart. He also gave them creative access, different battle plans, different agendas, different ways to do things. The ambush, the walls falling down. He gave them creative access. He didn't give them formulas. Do this, and then I'm going to do this. Do this, and then I'm going to do this. And it's going to look like this every time. Plunder, never plunder any time. No, it's plunder. Don't plunder this time. Plunder this time. It's going to be a different, it's going to be creative. So God gives creative access. And here, this tends to be my favorite one. I identified with this like 10 years ago. We had a sermon, and the pastor said, I don't remember what the sermon was, but I remember this one sentence, and so does my husband. So we're like, this is God's word to us. God's got options that you've never thought of. So he got access to God's options, options that he could never have manufactured on his own, options he never could have predicted or anticipated. I'm guessing he didn't go into that battle saying, we're going to go this far, and then the lethal hailstones are going to drop, and we're going to be good. No. God brought in some options they hadn't even thought of. They're thinking about the battle and they're going to have to do the battle multiple days because it's so long. We're going to have to set up camp. We're going to have to wait it out. We're going to go back. But God said, nope, I'm going to hang the sun up in the sky extra long today so that you can finish this whole thing before it goes down. God has options that we've never even thought of. So when God makes up the difference, When God does the rest, I'm running through it really quick. He gives us impossible access. He gives us inside access and unexpected allies. 
He gives us protection. He gives us an undeserved reputation and he spreads it. He gives us creative access and he gives us options that we've never thought of. So battle after battle, there was the same outcome, victory. God's handing over that land to them to take as their own. That land that had been promised to them from the beginning. They received their instruction from him. They believed him. They put action to that belief and he did the rest. He also redeemed an imperfect journey. I love that. There were some places where they messed up, right? The Gibeonites, part one, AI part one, they messed up. And he still redeemed that and let them enter in and gave them what he promised. So take yourself off the hook for needing to have a perfect battle. He doesn't need for us to be perfect in our execution in order for his plan to prevail. And just like wandering isn't forever, neither is warrioring. Knowing when the season is over is important. Keeping an ear out for when is this season over. Even if there is still work to do. Maybe God's raised up others and will assign others to the next leg of the journey. At the end of Joshua's life, there was still land to conquer. And God simply told him to assign it to the various tribes, just assign those to the various tribes, and I'll take care of it. And he did. So as you think about yourself in a season of worrying, whether that's now you've worried for 35 years in the same profession or 10 years or 15 years or in whatever situation you find yourself worrying, be looking for those signs that maybe this season, maybe this worrying is coming to an end. I don't know exactly what that will look like for you, but be keeping your ear out for that. Things such as burnout, chronic exhaustion that just can't seem to be remedied. You've tried things that just, oh, it's not working. I'm just tired. Maybe just assessing your heart. Is my heart still in it the way it once was? I think that was really revelatory for me, supervising my young therapist and just hearing their energy for it. All of the things, energized, energized, energized. And I could celebrate that with them and I could be in that with them and go, I don't have it like that anymore. That was something I was listening to. But it also was that encouragement that he's raising them up to do this work. Do you feel restless? I felt restless too. (laughs) Called for more. I feel confined. I feel like this is limiting. I feel like there's more for me. I feel restless here. So look for that. Is there some restlessness? Those might be some indicators. I don't have an exhaustive list. Those are just some things to look out for. Well, friends, I don't have a great ending for you. I'd say that we have covered a lot of ground this weekend. (laughs) I am so grateful for Joshua's life. Whoa, 
What a life. Can you believe it that he was born in Egypt and he died in the promised land and everything that was in between those two things? So many lessons, so many things for us to be encouraged by, so much, so much for us to take away. I'm so grateful. I'm also grateful for the testimonies here this weekend. Wow. I felt the pressure coming in to be like, relate to all of you. And some of you are still like, I don't even relate to her. But I hope that you related to somebody who stood up here and told their story or saw on a screen or a conversation that you had. I'm so grateful for the testimonies. That took a ton of courage, allowing us inside your journey. And I'm just grateful for all of the voices that have been here this weekend. I am grateful for the voices of the worship team. I'm grateful for the voices of the testimony. I'm grateful for the voices um, in our second session when you all shared. That was probably the most encouraging part of the weekend for me, just hearing the interaction and the engagement and what you were getting from this. Um, those voices, your voices, and the voices of the people who prayed last night, God threw them um, to you. So grateful for the voices. My hope is that you leave this weekend, that you feel connected, connected to God, connected to your place in the journey, connected to each other. And my hope and my prayer is that you feel renewed. Whether you're thick in the season of wandering whether you're thick in the season of warrioring or whether it's some combination of both. I want to say this blessing and then I'm out of here off the stage. I'll be here because there's coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't I hear that at the front at the first? That's okay. I obviously didn't need it. Well, that's fine. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a warrior. <sighs> You guys stand up. <laughs> what a relief. <laughs> now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is, is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.